0: The Seahawks will head to Motown looking to snap a two-game losing streak against the high-powered Lions. Who's in and who's out? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking down injury reports, devising a game plan for Seahawks victory, and much more on this Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, joining me for our Blue Friday episode. My co host, Nick Lee. Thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen. Five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. We're almost to game day, just 48 hours away from kickoff at Ford Field between the Seahawks and the Lions. We're going to look at final injury reports, devise a game plan for a Seahawks victory, dish out our weekly X-Factors and predictions, and much more. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Brightco Jewelry and Watch Insurance. Brightco brings you comprehensive, fast, and affordable jewelry insurance. For as low as $5 per month, check out your special offer for Locked On listeners and get covered in under two minutes at bright.co forward slash locked on. That's bright.co forward slash locked on. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. The Seahawks have a pretty darn clear injury report heading into... Sunday's week four battle against the Detroit Lions. Only two players receiving designations on Friday. Justin Coleman listed as doubtful with a calf injury. He's missed the last three games with that injury. Now, unfortunately, uh, it looks like he's going to miss another one. And Joey Blunt, who missed the last two games, the undrafted rookie with a hamstring injury. He's listed as questionable, likely going to be a game-time decision. But Nick this list is pretty good. Looking at the players that were injured or out for part of this week, they're going to have Quentin Jefferson, they're going to have Shelby Harris, Ken Walker the third, several other guys that were on an injury list like Phil Haynes. All those players did not even have designations. This is actually the healthiest the Seahawks have been, really, since the season started. All of
1: a sudden, I argue that the Seahawks have one of the better-looking injury reports over the whole league at this point. Um, yeah, it stinks to lose Justin Coleman and, and Joey Blunt, obviously, with – that kind of takes a hit to the depth of your secondary. But I, I feel good about what Kobe Bryant's doing in the slot. I, I like some of the stuff he's done. And when you look at it, so look, <laughs> when you look at the Lions injury report list, I mean, uh, the, the Seahawks one kind of looks like, you know, is just about as long as that book Good Night Moon I read to my son every night. Just really short and quick and sweet. While the uh, the injury report for the Lions looks like an excerpt from uh, War and Peace. <laughs>
0: That's a good way to put it. (laughs) The Lions are going to be missing some key players. The Seahawks can't say that. They're pretty healthy. But, yeah, you just mentioned a Lions injury report. I think we need to dedicate most of this segment to looking at that because there are some players here that are superstars for the Detroit Lions that are not going to be playing in this game. Most notably, Amon Ray St. Brown dealing with an ankle sprain Seahawks fans may remember last December that he had 11 catches for 118 yards and a touchdown, also ran for a touchdown against the Seahawks at Lumen Field as a rookie, so he killed them last year. He won't be doing that this weekend, not playing. And running back DeAndre Swift, who's averaging over 8.5 yards per carry this year, is not going to be available dealing with shoulder and ankle injuries. They've got a starting guard in Jonah Jackson out with a finger injury. Their kicker, Austin Siebert, is out and they might be without two of their other receivers, DJ Shark and Josh Reynolds, both questionable with ankle injuries. I think that's really the big story here. They're already without St. Brown, who has been declared out. And now, Nick, there's a possibility Shark and or Reynolds may not play in this game either. Both of them might be on the field Sunday, but suddenly the highest scoring offense in the NFL is missing a bunch of key cogs for this unit. Yeah, that's huge. I
1: mean, we're talking about yeah, one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, missing your top three as of receiving yards, your top three receivers, and your leading rusher in DeAndre Swift. That is huge, and I don't know how you don't experience a drop-off in production when you miss that many guys, especially guys as, as talented as St. Brown, who's emerging as one of the better young receivers in the entire NFL. I have him on my fantasy team, so I know that, and I'm hurting this <laughs> week with that news, um, but that aside, that's, that's for a different show. Um, it's, uh, it's certainly advantage Seahawks. That's, that's, that's the bottom line. I mean, obviously you hate that it's that, uh, you know, these guys are getting hurt and they can't play because, you know, it's, it hurts the product, but it certainly is advantage Seahawks when it comes to the injury list. You, you, you look at those and you feel pretty good that, you know, going into it, both teams are healthy on paper. The lions are a clear, better team. They have a clear, better roster and they still might to a slight margin. But now you feel like the Seahawks can muck it up a little bit with some of the unfamiliar names that they're going to have on offense for Detroit and keep this game close and give yourself a shot late in the game. And you feel like the Seahawks can can do that.
0: And it's worth noting the Lions haven't had Jamison Williams, their first round pick out of Alabama, play a snap yet. He's still finishing up his recovery from a torn ACL he suffered in the national title game last January so he has yet to play a snap they could potentially be down their top four receivers for this game they still have guys like Quintez Cephas who played at Wisconsin on the roster but there's a huge drop off from your top three or four receivers to what the Lions have on the rest of their roster and so that would be a huge hit for their passing game and for Jared Goff he would still have TJ Hawkinson I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about him as this show progresses but it's possible that the Lions could be without their top three or four playmakers away from the quarterback position going into this football game and injury reports don't determine who wins games I can remember you know there's a certain quarterback named Colt McCoy that has started a couple times against the Seahawks as a backup quarterback and he's played the game of his life to upset the Seahawks so injury reports don't always tell you the story that's going to happen on Sunday but nonetheless You look at those two respective injury reports, the Lions are missing multiple starters on offense that have already been ruled out. they got a couple others that could be out on Sunday that are listed as questionable, really solid receivers for Jared Goff. The Seahawks, on the other hand, they've got maybe your starting slot. I don't know if Coleman would even be the starter there if he's healthy this week with Kobe Bryant ascending and Joey Blunt is an undrafted rookie safety that just plays special teams. So really there's a wide gap in disparity there in terms of significance between these injury reports. We'll see how that ends up impacting the game coming up on Sunday, but the Seahawks are certainly the healthiest that they have been really since the start of the season. Even their week one injury report had more designations on it than this does. So this time of year, you starting to get towards the middle of the schedule. You don't see a lot of injury reports that are this small. The Seahawks, Feeling pretty good, pretty healthy heading into this road game at Ford Field. What do the Seahawks have to do to win this contest? We're going to devise our weekly game plan coming up next, looking on offense, defense, maybe even sprinkle some special teams into the equation. Coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. When I proposed to my wife at Cannon Beach on the Oregon coast, I bobbled the ring as I pulled it out of the box and nearly dropped it into the Pacific ocean off of a rock. It nearly became a life altering, incredibly expensive disaster for several onlookers to see at a crowded tourist destination. Probably got a few, videos on cell phones with it as well. Here's the lesson. You don't want to be that guy, and you certainly don't want it splattered all over the internet. The guys at Brightgo Jewelry Insurance will make sure you get a replacement for the full value of that ring, no matter if it's lost, stolen, or you just can't figure out what happened to it. Go to bright.co forward slash locked on. It's the fastest, easiest, and cheapest way to cover your butt with the best jewelry insurance in the business. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Join me for today's show, Nick Lee. We've got a big game coming up at Ford Field this weekend. The Seahawks looking to snap a two-game losing streak. The Detroit Lions, they've been very competitive. They have the highest scoring offense in the NFL, but they are also one and two. This really has the feel of a must-win game. The Seahawks are in an NFC West division that's got three teams with a losing record right now. So maybe it isn't quite that must-win territory. But if you could get back to 2-2 and with the way the rest of this division is playing, you'd feel fairly decent about your chances heading towards the middle-meet part of the Seahawks' schedule here in 2022. Let's devise a game plan, Nick. Let's start with the Seahawks on offense. And I just mentioned the Lions. They've got the number one offense in terms of scoring they have the number 32 unit in terms of scoring on defense. That's where you don't want to be. They've been giving up 31 points per game. So the Seahawks should be able to have success against this team. But where are they going to have that success? That's the real question. Yeah, the
1: the scoring, you know, the Seahawks are also 29th in scoring on offense versus the worst scoring defense. So we'll see what gives there. And the Seahawks running the ball, 29th ranked right now against the 27th rush defense in the lions. I think that's where you start. Um, The Seahawks a couple of weeks ago were the worst running team in the NFL. They've slowly crept up a little bit there. I think this is another week where at least the running game might be able to get right. And especially on the road, um, especially against a high flying offense, or at least it was before all these injuries with the lions, um, how you keep all that at bay is run the football and control the clock control the scrimmage line of scrimmage and just control the tempo of the game and and get into a rhythm on offense. And so that's how you do it by running the ball, especially between the tackles. Um, The lions interior especially has struggled and they've been able to, the one thing that the lions have not done a great job of is defense against interior runs. And they've done a lot of good, good things there. I think I said before the season that the lion, this lion seems to be feisty and you could see it on the, on the hard knocks show that, This is going to be a feisty team that is maybe if they don't make the playoffs, they're going to be a very tough out. And no one's going to want to play them down the stretch if they they themselves are trying to make the playoffs. And I think this is one of those games where um, you got to you got to pick your spots. And I think one of those spots is an interior run on offense.
0: Yeah, I think you got to hammer it between the tackles in this game. Going back and watching the Lions' first three games on all 22, I can tell you that their interior defensive line has really struggled. They've they've lost the line of scrimmage more times than not. Michael Brockers is a name a lot of Seahawks fans will remember from all those years playing with the Rams. He has not played very well in these first three games, and they don't have much depth at that position. They also are starting a sixth-round pick in Malcolm Rodriguez at linebacker. Alex Anzalone is their other starter, and – He is, in my estimation, at best, an average starting middle linebacker. This is a team with those linebackers and the lack of depth, the lack of overall talent in the interior. You should be able to get that downhill running game going against them, and that's why they're 27th in the league in rushing. That's why they also are one of the worst teams in terms of tackling. Their linebackers have struggled. Their secondary players, when they've had to come up and make stops, have missed a lot of tackles. They're tied for fifth. In terms of missed tackles, the Seahawks are just ahead of them in that mark. Not necessarily a category you want to be ahead on. But this is a football team when you add in the fact they have not been able to slow down anybody with their interior defensive line. Their linebackers have struggled. There's some inexperience there with Rodriguez. They've missed a lot of tackles. This is absolutely a team where you want to run the ball early and you want to run the ball often. That's probably the thing Pete Carroll has been the most frustrated about this year. is They're running the ball effectively. All of their running backs are averaging at least four yards per carry. But they haven't been able to sustain drives and they haven't been able to get enough possessions where they're able to get more carries for their running backs and wear down opposing defenses. They have not been able to check off that box in any of their previous three games. So maybe this is the game they do it against this team. Now, looking at the passing game, the Lions are not good at defending the pass either. They're in the 20s in most categories. When you're dead last in scoring, allowed, usually you're not good at either one. And that holds true for this Lions team. Now, there have been some bright spots, even if DK Metcalf didn't necessarily sound impressed the other day. Jeff Okuda has been really good the first three games, and he's shut down a couple of really solid receivers. Justin Jefferson had just 14 receiving yards last week for the Vikings. But the way that they're doing it is a ton of safety help and prioritizing taking out taking out one receiver the Vikings were able to take advantage of that last week. K.J. Osborne, their number three out of the slot, scored the game-winning touchdown. Adam Thielen had a solid game as the number two receiver. I feel like this is the game where maybe somebody like Marquise Goodwin or D. Eskridge is going to have to come up with some big plays because the Lions are one of the top three teams in the NFL, Nick, for man coverage rates. And if you've got really fast receivers, which the Seahawks do have a lot of speed at that position you should be able to create separation and get some yardage after the catch. The Seahawks have not been able to do that this year. And, and Goodwin and Eskridge have six combined catches. It's not like they've been a big part of this offense, but I feel like this is a game where those two and maybe the more athletic tight end and Noah Fant, he's got under 60 receiving yards for the season. Maybe this is a game that he breaks out some against those inexperienced linebackers, uses his athleticism, but those secondary targets in my estimation are going to be the difference maker here. DK and Tyler are going to get their targets, but you need some other guys to chip in too, especially if they're going to dedicate all that energy to shutting down either Metcalf or Lockett. You need your secondary guys to come through, especially against man coverage. I like this matchup a lot for players like Goodwin and Eskridge. Yeah, Goodwin and Eskridge have actually combined for just 11 targets total in they, three games. They haven't even been trying to get
1: him the ball. I mean, no, that's what yeah. I'm saying, though. That should change and, and Escridge only has three of those. Good one has eight. So um, when I know this is going to sound silly, but when I am playing Madden or NCAA, whatever it is, and I'm sick of a de- of a defense playing really good man cover, that's what I do. I, I, go, I start doing the meshes and the crosses and I find my fastest guys on the inside. And, and that usually breaks them free. And you see that all the time in the NFL where, and some of these, you know, the Rams and, and uh, 49ers kind of offenses, where they, they get those fast guys rubbing routes underneath. And, that can break him free. And that is why they drafted Dwayne Eskridge. D Eskridge was because he has that ability. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Goodwin saying that's why they brought him in. He has that exact ability to break free and, and get some yaks, some yards after catch, which has been abysmal for the Seahawks this year. And this is an ap- absolutely an opportunity to do that. You have two guys in both Goodwin and Eskridge and fans, like tight end. He he does he's not exactly a yards after catch threat like those guys are, but they at least can create some space and, and some catches. But this is why you brought those guys in, use them how you like.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned Fant with the yak yardage because last year he didn't have a great year in that regard, but two years ago for the Broncos, he w- was number three overall for tight ends in yards after the catch. And he averaged six yards after the catch per reception. He's more than capable You just got to give him opportunities. I feel like they're still feeling that process out. This guy has too much talent not to be getting a few more touches each game. And so I think this is a game this opponent could be just what the doctor ordered for Fant. And I think even for a guy like Eskridge, you'd love to see the Seahawks get him some more run. He just hasn't played very much. 23 offensive snaps in the first three games. They need to get this kid out there with his yard after the catch ability. This is a defense I mentioned earlier. They can't tackle very well. Fifth most missed tackles. That's not all the run game. You get explosive, strong receivers like Eskridge in space with the football. They can break tackles that way, too, and you can get yards after the catch. They've just been so bad at that this year. This should be a game where they're really working towards that, and you can take advantage of the coverages that the Lions play. So there's a lot on offense that I feel like the Seahawks can do in this game to have success. They're going to have to be able to protect Geno Smith. That's maybe the biggest worry with Aiden Hutchinson coming off the edge. And they've got a couple other decent uh, pass rushers. Charles Harris is another one that led the team in sacks last year. You got to protect Geno, but if you can get that run game going, some play action off of it, you should be able to throw the ball all over the yard against this defense, especially without Tracy Walker, who tore his Achilles last week. One of the Lions' starting safeties, they already were not strong at safety. Now they're going to be playing a backup there. This is a secondary you should be able to take advantage of. Just got to have time for Geno. Now let's flip to the other side because. Even with the injuries, the Detroit Lions still have some capable weapons, and they can run the football. This is the number three rushing offense in the entire NFL, and I know you're going to be excited about this because we get to talk about one of your favorite all-time BYU players and Jamal Williams, who is going to be getting the rock a lot in this football game. DeAndre Swift already ruled out. I think Jamal Williams is one of the best number two running backs in the NFL. He would start for a handful of teams in the league. And he is a hammer. This is a guy that, between the tackles, breaks a lot of tackles. He keeps his feet churning, gets a lot of yards after contact. And the Seahawks have had major issues with tackling themselves. And so he's probably 1A and maybe two ways in terms of priorities here slowing down because of the issues the Seahawks have had in general, stopping the run. I think they need to mix in more of those bare fronts that we saw them use the last couple of years in this game in particular, because of the lack of receivers on the outside. If they're missing two or three of their top receivers, take advantage of that schematically and really take the run game away. Force Jared Goff to beat you with fourth and fifth string receivers.
1: Yeah, as a second string running back, Jamal Williams already has th- almost uh 200 total yards in 3 games and he's clearly been their their option in the red zone. He has four rushing touchdowns already this year. Um been kind of a sneaky good fantasy player if you're into that. Um and it's just he's he's sneaky physical as well. He's very he's very uh, pretty agile. Um and I, I again, I know a lot about Jamal Williams. BYU's all-time leading rusher. I watched him a lot. Um, and he's gotten even bigger and bulkier. And I think the Seahawks goal should be, don't let him be doing some, no air humps in the end zone. <laughs> don't be doing, don't let him dance in the end zone. Cause if Jamal Williams is dancing on Sunday, uh, it's not going well for the Seahawks and he will, he will dance if the Seahawks let him. And so that's, that's a great point to just, you're going to have to, you're going to have to make Jared Goff beat you because we've seen that game. We've seen the Jared Goff, you know, game where the, the, the Seahawks are able to stop the Rams or whatever. And, and, uh, Jared Goff tries to beat him. And more often than not, the Seahawks are successful in that kind of, in that kind of, uh, philosophy. Um, Jared Goff is not one of the top five, you know, quarterbacks in the league. He's, he's better than the bottom, bottom feeders, but he's not, he's not a guy that's going to put a team on his back completely and win a game like some of the elite quarterbacks in the league. So, um, Jamal Williams has absolutely got to be public enemy number one, really for the defense. And, uh, and also with the, uh, you gotta watch out for the red zone because this is another, um, you know, you got you gotta force you gotta force full force three not not allow a touchdown because this is actually the second best red zone offense in the in the Lions and the Seahawks aren't too aren't too shabby themselves on red zone defense but again that's a lot of usage of Jamal Williams T J Hawkinson is a stud at tight end um, so that you gotta they're they're the number two red zone efficiency into touchdowns offense in in the NFL and if they start converting those into seven every time, that's going to be a long Sunday for Seattle.
0: It really depends which receivers are available in terms of how you handle TJ Hawkinson. Because if you do have DJ Shark and Josh Reynolds on the outside, then Jared Goff still has some solid receivers to work with. They will be able to throw the football even without a Madre St. Brown. But if one or both those guys are inactive, That gives you more flexibility to have maybe somebody in the middle shading over TJ Hawkinson to help out the linebackers and safeties because Hawkinson is that kind of a talent. This is a guy that is a very good all-around tight end that's really been under the radar since the Lions drafted him in the first round a few years ago, in part because the Lions haven't been good. But this guy's a really good player. He made a positive impact in the run game. He's also an underrated receiver that can stretch the field a bit, can make those tough contested catches, move the chains. He checks off pretty much every boxer you're looking for for a modern tight end. So behind Jamal Williams, you obviously can't let that run game get going, and that's been a big part of that red zone success. The Lions have been destroying opponents with their offensive line, winning the line of scrimmage and a diverse run game. They've been able to get downhill and finish drives, the exact opposite of what the Seahawks have been doing on offense. You've got to get him taken care of. You can't let that run game get rolling. And then I think TJ Hawkinson is probably public enemy number two, depending on the health status of the receivers in the outside. But we've seen the Seahawks struggle with tight ends time and time again over the past decade plus. Really throughout the Pete Carroll era, tight ends have been a problem. There's been some issues with them this year. I would think that the Lions are going to make that a big focal point in their game plan, maybe by necessity. With the injuries, they've got a receiver. But he's the kind of guy you can build a passing game around if you want to. He's got that kind of talent. And this is a defense that's had issues with tight ends. So, absolutely, those are the top two players you got to find a way to take away. And that leads me to my last thing here. This is not necessarily a game where you're going to have to worry about a mobile quarterback because Jared Goff is not that. He can move the pocket a little bit. But this is the first game they've played, really. Jimmy Garoppolo played most of the 49ers game. He's not a mobile quarterback, really, either. But... Same vein here with Jared Goff. He is a pocket passer. So you're not going to have to worry about read option game like you've had to worry about for most of the season. The opponents they've been playing have had dual threat quarterbacks. That's not going to be a case this week. That should help them when it comes to slowing down Jamal Williams. It's also going to help with the pass rush. You should be able to get home a little bit more. What I want to see the Seahawks do, this is a Lions offensive line that in the interior – One of their guards, Logan Stenberg, who I actually am a big fan of the way he plays. He's a physical, nasty mauler, but he has a 0.0 grade on Pro Football Focus right now. I feel like I'm watching Animal House saying that. (laughs) (laughs) 0.0. He has been absolutely demolished in pass protections, given up 10 pressures, five quarterback hits, two sacks. The interior defensive line can win against him, but I think this is a game where you could sprinkle in some twists and stunts. We haven't seen a lot of that from the Seahawks the first three weeks, in part because of the mobile quarterbacks. This is the week that you can reveal some of those looks to try to get some of your athletic edge rushers working inside against these guards. You're going to have a backup guard replacing Jonah Jackson on the other side. So this is a game you can absolutely take advantage of those guards and pass protection not just with your interior line, but mixing in those twists and getting really athletic guys on them, creating that mismatch, collapse the pocket. That could make this a fun game for the Seahawks defense and they can slow down the run and you can get to Jared Goff. Yeah. And that, that could be, that could play huge
1: because actually Frank Ragnow I think is interesting as well. The center um, has a hundred percent pass block win rate, according to ESPN at one of only two centers, but also has a very poor grade of pro football focus. I think it was like 58 or something like that. 48. 48. Yeah, lot. you gave him yeah. too much credit. 48. So we got that and the, the guards situation. I think there can be some uh, some uh, some favorable
0: matchups for the Seahawks inside. Yeah, I think this game sets up well for those pass rushers, especially with Jonah Jackson not being healthy, could have a backup guard. Feels like this is a game, at least in the interior, the tackles for the Lions are pretty good, and Taylor Decker and Panay as well. Those two guys, former first-round picks, have had strong seasons in pass protection. But the interior, that's been a little different story for the Lions. All right, Nick, let's get to our X-Factors, what the Seahawks need to do to win, and much more here in our final segment of our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. Before we get rolling here, thanks to always the 12 out there. Thanks, as always for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And also for your second listen, make sure to check out the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson give you the expert NFL analysis in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Nick, we get this big game coming up in Detroit. Seahawks-Lions week four at Ford Field. Seattle desperately needs a win to hang tight in the NFC West. Detroit in a competitive NFC North, they're not looking to fall another game back either at one and two. So there's a lot on the line in this matchup. Who is your X factor to watch for the Seahawks? A player that absolutely has to have a big game for the Seahawks to get the road win.
1: This is definitely one of the more underrated, under the radar ones for me, um, given the fact that the the Lions have the number three rushing offense, the number two red zone offense. That the linebackers are going to come to come into play here big time, and I, I expect Jordan Brooks to be there. I expect him to, to make some plays. Um, Cody Barton is my X factor. Um, he's he's had some great moments, and great plays, some other times where he either disappears or you know doesn't uh, doesn't make the play as well as he can. Um, so he's a guy that's for me whether it's tackling Jamal Williams in the red zone, um, handling perhaps a, a, a matchup with T.J. Hawkinson. Um, or, or just you know making a big stop on third and medium, third and short, this is a, a one of those games where you can't allow the Lions to, to get into a rhythm, get into momentum on offense. You can't allow them to keep converting third downs. You can't allow them to, to have multiple, um, several possessions in the red zone. And when, when they do get into the red zone, you can't allow them to get in the end zone. And a, a player
0: like Cody Barton can make a big difference there. So I'm going to go Cody Barton. I'm going to go on the offensive side of the football, and we just talked about how important running the football is going to be in this game for the Seattle Seahawks because you're playing an opponent that has been just as bad as the Seahawks at slowing down opposing run games. They're third worst right now in the NFL in a number of categories. They're 27th overall in rushing yards allowed. They've given it more rushing touchdowns than anyone. Ken Walker the third, is still waiting to get that first touchdown. I think that this is the game it happens. I think Ken Walker III goes back to the state of Michigan where he starred his one year at Michigan State. Maybe he'll have some former teammates there. Maybe some family shows up, even though he's, I believe, from Florida. Maybe some of them will come because of his ties to Michigan. But I think this is the game that Ken Walker III finds the end zone for the first time, whether that's as a runner or as a receiver. I mean, either way, I think he's going to find the end zone. But this is going to be a big game for the running backs. I think Rashad Penny's got a chance maybe to have his first breakout game of the season. But you would like to get enough carries where both these guys have at least 8, 9, 10 carries apiece. And you can really get KW3 unleashed here this week. I like the matchup for both running backs. I like him against the linebackers when he gets to the second level, the burst, the explosiveness. I just think Ken Walker III is going to have a big game. I think both of Seattle's top two running backs have a chance for a big game going against this team that has struggled so much defending the run. They've got issues in the interior. Their linebackers have struggled. I just like this matchup a lot. So I think Walker has a big game. His first big game as a Seahawk running back. I think he gets his first touchdown. So he is my X factor. Now shifting gears here. If the Seahawks are going to win this game, we talked game planning. What do you think absolutely has to happen on Sunday for Pete Carroll and company to get the win? Well,
1: I know it's early, but the, the two things I've noticed in the Lions, two situations where the Lions are 0-2 on are the games where Jared Goff throws an interception and the games where the, the opponent rushes for at least 100 yards. I know it's really small sample size, but I think that's a good formula. You know, forcing, we've seen what Jared Goff can and cannot do with as member of the Rams with the Seahawks have been playing him for years and years and he can be rattled, he can make mistakes. And this is a game where, yeah, yeah. The, the Lions are 0 and two when he throws a pick and he, he's had some very good moments with the lions. I, I'll give him that, but you give him a turnover, gets rattled. And especially, you know, with some of the lack of weapons, I think they might try to force, force the issue a bit. Get 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 an an extra possession. Maybe it's on the plus side of the field for the Seahawks. Get get an extra red zone possession, perhaps. And then on the offensive side, establish that run game. Like I mentioned, you know, you got to keep that high flying offense of the Lions off the field. Still weird saying that high flying offense for the Lions, by the way. That's just that just sounds weird. Anyway, um, it's just uh, you know keep them on the sidelines and establish your own rhythm on offense. And I think 100 yards rushing is a good symptom of that.
0: All I'm picturing right now is a lion with wings. What's the, what's the book that that's off of? <laughs> Was something Wizard of Oz
1: crossed with something
0: else. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever. It's some kind of a fantasy, but anyway, yeah. Flying lions. It just, it just sounds weird to begin with, but especially when you're talking about the football team that has not had good offenses, but For me, I'm thinking similar veins to you. And I'm glad you mentioned Goff because he is going to be facing his arch nemesis on the other side. The player that's had so much success against him and that's Quandre Diggs. Quandre Diggs has dominated Jared Goff in the past. So he's looking at his lips a little bit thinking he's going to be without at least one of his top receivers. That just makes it even better for me. Hopefully he's going to try to chuck one downfield into tight coverage. I could jump the route and get an interception. But for me, when we're talking about game plan and what the Seahawks need to do to win this one, I think it boils down to the red zone. Seattle, in my opinion, needs to score three touchdowns in the red zone to win this game. And I think going off what you said, they need to generate at least two turnovers on the defensive side of the football. And I'm not necessarily saying that that's going to mean they pick off Jared Goff twice. Maybe they strip sack him. That is something they have had success against Goff with in the past when he was with the Rams. He's not a mobile quarterback. So if you can get to him, he's got kind of a long release that gives pass rushers a great opportunity to knock the football out of his hands. Jamal Williams in the past has occasionally had some issues coughing up the football. So there are ways they can generate turnovers against this Lions offense. As good as they've played, as many points as they scored, they will turn the football over. So I think if you can do that and you can find a way to clean up your red zone play, the Seahawks are the second worst team in the NFL when it comes to finishing red zone drives with touchdowns, just 25%. Ironically, Russell Wilson and the Broncos are the only team that are worse at that right now through three games. But if the Seahawks can punch it in on several of their drives, get at least three red zone touchdowns, that tells me they've had long drives, and then they finish them with authority to get a touchdown. You get some turnovers. You really like your chances of winning this game. And by the way, I'll add this caveat here the lions have been the most charitable team in the red zone defensively in the entire NFL opponents are scoring touchdowns 90% of the time that they get inside the opposing 20 when they play the Lions. So if there's a game, the Seahawks are going to figure it out in the red zone. This is the absolute one to do it. You are playing the perfect opponent. This is what the doctor ordered. So again, red zone efficiency, three touchdowns in the red zone create a couple turnovers, if they can do that with the injuries the Lions have too, then I would like their chances of winning this game. So let's get to predictions, Nick, and I'm going to start with you. Do the Seahawks have a chance to win this game? I know with the injuries that maybe that evens things up a little bit, but you're still traveling to Eastern time zone, and this is a feisty Lions squad that is going to be looking for a win after a disappointing loss to the Vikings last week.
1: Do they have a chance to win? Absolutely they do. Uh, just with the how efficient and pretty safe Geno Smith plays, as long as you can limit mistakes and the defense can make a few stops. Absolutely. They have a chance. I am not going to pick them to win. However, Uh, with the injuries, yes, this game does get a lot closer because like I mentioned before on paper, all healthy, this Lions team is actually, I think pretty darn good. Um, So, and they would be, a heavy favorite and should be against the Seahawks. But here I think it's, it gets muddied up a little bit with the injuries, but I still like what the lions are doing on offense. And so I think they will be some important, they'll, 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 find some points to, to, they'll find some ways to score points in this game, even without some of their top playmakers. They have some smart coaches on that sideline and with the Seahawks on offense versus the lions defense, that's the ultimate uh, very stoppable force meets very movable objects. And so I think the object will get moved a little bit back into the end zone and the defense. And so I think the Seahawks themselves will score points. I see, I see both teams going 23 plus and I'm going to go lions 30 Seahawks 23. Maybe it's close late and the lions get a late touchdown to take the lead. I think it will be close and competitive, but even with the injuries, I think right now um, especially being in Detroit, I think the lions
0: have a bit of juice. Um, and I think they might ride that, especially in the home crowd. So I actually gave my score prediction on our crossover Thursday show yesterday, and that was knowing the injury situation. But I think I want to do a mulligan here. I'm going to make a change of the heart here. And I, I don't know that I've ever done this on Locked on Seahawks. I usually wait till Friday to give my prediction anyway. But I picked the Lions to win this game 31-17 on yesterday's show. Shortly after we got done recording, I started thinking about it. I'm like, they're going to be missing their top running back most likely, their top receiver. They might be missing multiple offensive linemen. We now know they're going to be missing one. They have two other receivers that are banged up. The Seahawks have been so close when you're looking at last week, and they just haven't been able to finish. I look at the opponent and how much they're struggling defending the run and in the red zone. I have changed my mind. I think the Seahawks are going into Ford Field With those injuries the Lions have, I expect it is going to be very close because Detroit still has a lot of good players and they're well coached. But I think Seattle actually goes in and gets the win. I'm changing my prediction to 27-24. I think we're going to see a flip of the script where the Seahawks are going to find ways to finish drives. And I think the players missing for the Lions, they're going to have a few drives that end with field goals and that is going to be the difference. It's going to be the exact opposite of the recipe for the Seahawks a week ago where they were the team that left a lot of points on the board. I think the Seahawks find a way to get it done this weekend. So, yes, I am changing my prediction based on the injuries and just maybe it's just a feeling and maybe it's just a fact I haven't gotten a game right this year, and I'm looking for a way to try to catch up with you a little bit here. But I'm going 27-24 Seahawks. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corvus Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Make sure to check out Locked On Seahawks and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and streaming five days a week on YouTube. We'll be back on Sunday. I will be dishing out a postcast after the Seahawks-Lions game, handing out game balls, three up, three down, and much more. Might mix in a Q&A bonus episode tomorrow as well. We'll wait and see what happens. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the game on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.